Blog Talk Radio.
of Talk Radio. I'm your host, the visible one himself, Thomas Dwayne Smith. So this is going to be an action-packed show tonight. We have tuning in later or calling in later my friend Babette Holder, the cousin to our U.S. Attorney General, and my good friend Jack Cashel. So sit back, relax, ready, get ready for a action-packed, fun-hard-hitting show. And uh, I have a friend of mine who is listening in, but before we get started, I'm just going to play something funny. Just kind of a reminder why we do what we do. You are listening to both conservative Christians Unleashed here on True Radio Presents and the bunch fifth of white privilege. Hello, America. This is the other bill for America. I'm the guy with the sign on my truck. Now, I'm not hiring until Obama's gone. That is strictly a prediction because he is destroying our economy. But, as promised, I promised a few Patriot friends on Facebook that I would post a video that um, would bring to light the last phone call I got last night at 11.16 p.m. my time here on the Eastern Seaboard of one of my new liberal friends from Wisconsin. He says his name is John. And I got to call my uh, uh, voicemail to be able to retrieve this message and allow you to hear it. It's impressive for somebody of sub intellectual character. Yeah. Bear with me on this video thing, it's new to me. And I got to uh, fine tune it as best I can and get one. Here's that. Yeah, my name is John. I was uh, wondering if you guys were hiring yet. Entertaining, huh? The Muslim's still in office, I guess. I'm on. Pick up the pace, John. Soon I'll be standing right behind you. Ooh. Fear. See you fucking that. loser. You're, you're fucking part of the reason why this fucking country is the way, the way it is. Yada, yada, yada. Well, John, I want to thank you for your contribution. And uh, I have posted on Facebook, if anybody wants to contact him and let him know that they are in support of him, or maybe discuss his feelings for my terrible capitalist beliefs, please, please don't hesitate to do so. But uh, I will be posting this video shortly. And uh, God bless all patriots, Semper Fi Marines. Now, I'm a little busy, so i got to get to work. I'll talk to you later. You have a blessed day. There you have it. Liberals crack me up, but it is what it is. So get to the headlines. we got a lot of them. But let's start with the biggie. Sources. 
intelligence community investigated Bergdahl's conduct. A senior official confirms to Fox News that the conduct of Sergeant Bo Bergdahl, both in his final stretch of active duty in Afghanistan when he lived among the Taliban, has been thoroughly investigated by the U.S. intelligence community and is the subject of a major classified file. Hmm, I wonder why. Could it be because he's a traitor to his country? In conveying as much, the Defense Department source confirmed to Fox News that many within the intelligence community harbor serious, outstanding concerns, not only that Bergdahl may have been a deserter, but that he may be an active collaborator with the enemy. The Pentagon official added poignantly that no relevant congressional committee has sought access to the classified file, but that if such a request was made, key committee chairs would, under previous precedent, likely be granted access to it. Separately, the Pentagon confirmed that it is looking into claims Americans died during the search for Bergdahl. You idiots know that American soldiers died. It's documented. The administration announced over the weekend that Bergdahl's release had been secured in exchange for five Taliban prisoners at Guantanamo Bay. President Obama was joined by the soldier's parents in making a public statement on the release Saturday evening from the Rose Garden. Interesting. You make it on a weekend when there's not much of news happening. The administration sources told Fox News that many officials in the executive branch are quite baffled by the president's, the White House's decision to allow the president to stand alongside Bergdahl's father this past weekend, giving the father of controversial emails and online posts. Asked Monday about reports that Bergdahl's father was communicating on Twitter with a man described as a Taliban spokesman, White House Press Secretary Jay Kearney declined to comment on these reports but defended the administrator's handling of the release. The fact is, they are the parents of Sergeant Bergdahl. Their son was held in captivity for five years, he said, and it was absolutely the right thing to do for the commander-in-chief for the administration to take secure action to secure his release. The last prisoner of war from the Afghanistan and Iraq wars. You broke a law. You don't if you don't negotiate with terrorists. Asked whether Obama stands by National Security Advisor Susan Rice's claim. Sunday that Bergdahl served with distinction, Carney said the president stands by actions that he took as commander and chief to secure his release. Hmm, wait a 
Another administration official who are focused on counterterrorism told Fox News when asked about the status of any investigation into Bergdahl's initial disappearance in his conduct over the past five years, everybody says he's not going to get a free pass. In the interrogations that Bergdahl will face during his repatriation process, he's going to have a lot of questions to answer, a lot. Is he a hero? No. Although his source had not seen the classified file described by the Pentagon source, the counterterrorism official agreed that given high priority attached to the Bergdahl case over the last five years, the need for clarity about Bergdahl's actions before enduring his time with the Taliban would have been a priority for intelligence tasking. If the process of repatriation would include questioning a Bergdahl, Bergdahl gear, whether he engaged in any form of collaboration with the enemy, the counterterrorism official replied, of course, this is extremely untidy. Officials noted that there were more than 50 cases in the Korean War where U.S. service personnel categorized as POWs were investigated for possibly having collaborated with North Koreans or the Chinese during that conflict. Well, there you have it. There you have it. You have an individual who was celebrated. Millions of people prayed for him. And it turns out he was... Turns out he was a traitor. It seems to me that something was off this whole thing. And I can't, I'm not going to try to put my finger on it, but when you have people high up in the intelligence community, We have people in a high up in the intelligence community saying something doesn't smell right. Colonel Allen West, he himself, he himself who served in Afghanistan and Iraq with honor and distinction, calling this whole situation a rat. If you are captured POW. Why didn't you take your weapon? That's all I have to say about that because it breaks my heart knowing that we potentially had someone I don't know. Moving on to the next article. 
cold water cast on claim Sudanese mother will mom will be freed from death row. The Sudanese government is backtracking from reports that the mother sentenced to death for her Christian faith will be freed. Over the weekend, Hope's Mariam Ibrahim, who recently gave birth while in a Sudanese prison with her 20-month-old son, would be released, was bullied when Abdullah al-Azri, an undersecretary at the foreign ministry, said the nation believes in religious freedom and was committed to her protection. But another foreign ministry official walked back that statement on Sunday, according to BBC, issuing a statement saying the Sudanese judicial system is the only authority that can rule on a case. The defense team of the concerned citizen has appealed the verdict, and if the appeals court rules in her favor, she will be released, the ministry said in a statement. Ibrahim's husband, Daniel Wani, who has dual citizenship and American citizenship, told the BBC he is skeptical from the beginning. He had been skeptical from the beginning. Got to check my audio, folks. Okay. I should still be there. Testing. One, two, three. Can you hear me? Okay. Okay. No Sudanese. A foreign moder- mediator contacted me. Maybe there are contacts between the Sudanese go- government and foreign sites that I'm not aware of, said Winnie, who spoke from Khartoum. Ibrahim was convicted by a Sudanese court on April 30th for apostasy and given two weeks to recant her Christian faith. He refused and was sentenced to be hanged. Though the court will not carry out the sentence until she has fully nursed her newly born daughter, the sentence also must be ratified by the Supreme and Constitutional Courts. Ibrahim married Wani in 2011, and the couple operates. And the couple operates. Where am I? several businesses together, including a farm south of the capital city of Khartoum. Winnie is not permitted to have custody of the couple's son, Martin, because the boy is considered Muslim and cannot be raised by a Christian man. Sudan's penal code punishing the conversion of Muslims to other religions by death and regards anyone born to a Muslim father as Muslim. Ibrahim's case first came to the attention of authorities in August 2013 when members of her mother's family complained that she was born a Muslim but married a Christian. They claimed her name, her birth name was Afdal, but her supporters say the document produced by relatives to indicate she was given a Muslim name at birth was fake 
and dramatic courtroom testimony, Ibrahim refused to answer a judge who referred to her as Aftal and declared that Christianity is the only religion she never knew a Muslim, she told the judge. I was raised a Christian from the start. Outraged from the global community against Ibrahim's sentence and treatment has grown in recent weeks with more than one million people signing online petitions, including more than 750,000 on change.org alone. Okay, so let's address this. How do Muslims feel? First of all, Islam is not a religion. It's a political, political ideology. Let's get it right. Second of all, if Americans got tired of all this crap, and just started killing people for converting to Muslim, for converting to Muslim, you would see a major backlash. But it's silence as long as it's Christian. Why is that? Why is that? It's a good question. I'll tell you exactly why it is. Because you're dealing with people full of intolerance. They only tolerate you if you believe and think how they, if you don't, then it is what it is. But I'm going to tell you this. God is no respecter of person. And just like that picture I posted of the Young girls from India, victims of rape, but they were hung for committing adultery because someone else could not control their own urges. When's it going to stop? You know, folks, there is so much going on in this world. And then you have individuals telling minorities, this is leading up to what this week of shows are going to be about, debunking the so-called myth of white privilege. First of all, Where do liberals and progressives get off telling black people that they can't get ahead because uh, the white man has all the privileges? 
It serves to drive a division between people. And let me tell you something. I know a lot of Christians who are, you know, liberal, I know a lot of liberal Christians who are racist, too. I have bad news for you. You can't reconcile the two. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you can't. But the Democratic Party platform, in its very nature, is racist. All the so-called professors of higher education come up with stupid events like a white privilege conference where at said conference, the white people segregated themselves from the black people. So much for tolerance and getting along, huh? The conservative message for all its flaws and its faults in and of itself is not, and I repeat, is not racist, nor has it ever been. You have people who might be conservative and racist, but that's not the sum of the whole part. But on the other hand, what can be said about a group of people who categorize people, put them into groups, categories, Congressional Black Caucus, the the Congressional Asian Caucus, the Congressional Hispanic Caucus, the Congressional Pro-Abortion, Pro-Choice Caucus, All liberal. If you're not racist, why can't you integrate everybody together? But yet the very first thing you do, you call conservatives racist because they don't believe in policies that don't work. Or because conservatives believe that a black man has enough intelligence that he can work hard, bust his tail, and be wealthy if that's what he chooses to do because he can overcome any obstacle that might be set before. That's the conservative message. That's the conservative message. But just like anywhere else, we have a lot of boneheads who are messing it up. You can be tired of the race cards, but sometimes, folks, you need to just check your comments because some of the stuff that I've seen said and that I've read on message boards coming from conservatives is crazy. I understand you might be upset, but don't give liberals who are racist fodder because that's what people do. 
people who are accuse you of being what they truly are. Let me repeat that. People who are accuse you of being what they are, i.e., that's the reason why conservatives call are called racist because um, <laughs> liberals are. And it is what it is. I got a very good friend who's about to call in in one minute. And we're going to get this. Well, he already called in. But understand this. First thing we're going to touch on, because his time is short today. He's with his family. But we're going to briefly address the Sergeant Bo Birdell, or Birdell, how do you say his name, situation. Then we're going to um, talk about the myth of white privilege, debunk it. Because quite frankly, this is a man who grew up in North New Jersey, and he was the minority. So, We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. I'm going to give you an idea with this clip that I'm about to play. It speaks to the mindset and the liberal hatred towards minorities, period. We'll be right back with our guest on the other side of the break. Society can prevent those who are manifestly unfit from continuing their kind. Three generations of imbeciles are enough. I do not join in the belief that the African is our equal in brain or in heart. We are paying for and even submitting to the dictates of an ever-increasing, unceasingly spawning class of human beings who never should have been born at all. The laws of nature require the obliteration of the unfit. The best way to hate a nigger is to hate him before he is born. American eugenicists were routinely praising Hitler and holding up the Nazi eugenics program as a model for the United States to copy. Non-white races must be excluded from America. The red and black races, if left to themselves, revert to a savage or semi-savage state in a short time. The only way possible of decreasing Negro population is by means of controlling fertility. Birth control facilities could be extended relatively more to Negroes than to whites since Negroes are more concentrated in the lower income and education classes. We hope that the restraint of population growth can come about through voluntary means. But if it does not, involuntary methods will be used. There should be national sterilization for certain dysgenic types of our population who are being encouraged to breed and would die out were the government not feeding them. If this movement continues, 
we soon may be accused of fighting poverty by eliminating the poor and overcoming hunger by removing the hungry. For all their failures, what the eugenics movement had accomplished was to lay the foundation for the next phase of their plan. And this is where they would find the success that they had been chasing for over 100 years. And welcome back to the Visible Conservative Christians Unleashed here on True Radio Presents on the Blog Talk Radio Network. And I'm your host, the Visible One himself, Thomas Dwayne Smith. And I'm excited once again to have my very good friend who's taken time out of his busy schedule with his family. Um, I appreciate this man. But, you know, I figure that he would be, because of where he grew up, he would be one that could speak to this so-called myth of white privilege. Privilege. Um, I'm going to take some stuff from the conference and stuff. I pulled it up. It's garbage, and I'm just going to put it like that. But I am honored to have my friend, author, investigative reporter, and just a great guy, not to mention the MC for the upcoming the upcoming first annual Frederick Douglass Foundation of Missouri State Conference, Jack Cashel. Jack, welcome back to the show, my friend. Hey, Thomas. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Not a problem. Yeah, I had a good I had a, I had a good day today. You know, I walked into a local bank. They didn't know me at all. And I said, you know, could I borrow like a hundred thousand dollars? They said, You're white, we're white? Sure, take the money, Jack. <laughs> I like it. You then, Jack, I, then I'm going ninety. Guy. I'm going ninety in the school zone. They pull me over and they look at me and said, Oh, you're a white guy, you just keep on going. Don't worry about it anymore. <laughs> it doesn't happen that way. <laughs> nope, it doesn't. But before we get to that, I want you to address what's going on in the in the news with Sergeant Bo Burdett, Birdall, or Bert, how do you say his name? Because it's, it's something, just something's not right about this whole thing. Could you address that a little bit? Yeah, it seems to me that nothing is right about this whole thing. Um, you know, thanks, thanks to uh, social media, we know now that virtually everyone he served with thought he was a deserter, if not a traitor, you know. His father is right. out there speaking, talking uh, uh, Arabic, you know, and asking uh, Allah to bless the White House. Uh, and, you know, he has a beard, he has a Taliban-style beard. It's like right. you would think that it, just for the sake of uh, what they call optics, you know, visuals, someone would have gotten to Senior Birdall and said, okay, clean up your act here. Don't speak Arabic in your press conferences. You know, you want to get this, your kid home in one piece, the kid is probably, you know, that apple doesn't seem to have fallen far from that tree. Uh, I don't right. know what's going on, but it's, it, the bottom line is that, um, you know, we have five, you know, hardcore senior-level terrorists being released back into the world. And we also know from experience that after these guys get out of Guantanamo, right. uh, they're right. not pacified, they're aggravated. You know, they want to go out and blow up some more people. So... 
but just one other final note that's interesting because I'm, I'm working on a book right now called You Lie, and you can figure out the subtitle. But right. one of the things that has come up in this um, uh, controversy that, that may seem totally obscure is a thing called the signing statement. Now, uh, when uh, Bush used signing statements, and he did a couple times, no one ripped him harder than Barack Obama. Uh, and no one, and, and Obama was, not that he ripped Bush, but he, he was so definitive about what he said. Um, you know, it was just like, uh, he could not be more clear in how he would never, under any circumstance, use a signing statement. What a signing statement allows, it's kind, of, it's kind of a constitutional end run. It'll, you know, the president, let's say, passes a bill into law, but he'll say, well, there's parts of this bill I object to, and I'm not going to honor. And when uh, Bush did that, uh, Obama and other Democrats were uh, utterly uh, beside themselves. And here, here's the quote. I mean, it's, Obama said, I mean, he, he could not have been more clear. Uh, and this he said it on the campaign trail in, in May in 2008. Uh, the, uh, he said, he said, we're not going to use signing statements as a way of doing an end run around Congress. And he uh, blamed Bush. He said, here's how he, he paraphrased what Bush was thinking. Uh, this is Obama projecting Bush's thoughts. Well, I can basically change what Congress passed by attaching a letter saying, I don't agree with this part or I don't agree with that part. I'm going to choose to interpret it this way or that way. And Obama rejected this outright. He said, quote, that's not part of his power. Uh, and he went on to say that I believe in the Constitution, and I will obey the Constitution of the United States. And we're not, he said, quote, we're not going to use signing statements as a way of doing an end run around Congress. Promises, Thomas, don't get much more definitive than that. And nor does a lie get more dazzling than when a president breaks a promise this definitive as casually and contemptuously and often as Barack Obama has. In this case, he does it, you know, in in a case, something that the world is watching. And he doesn't care. Right. Right. So that's just an an added detail. I mean, there's going to be more details coming out, but there's nothing triumphant about this guy's return. Right. Before we move on to what the topic of the show um, is about, I have, I think someone has a question for you. It's a gentleman I just met today from the Kansas City area. He's running for um, 6th District Congressional seat, I believe, in 2016. Donnie, you there? Yes, I am. You have a question Uh, for Jack? One question, one question, huh? One question I've been trying to locate, because I'm going to take it to my campaign trail, is when did the United States start deciding to do this trading for POWs, and when did we get so weak to where the congressmen are backing down and is not taking the power that, they, that has been given to them to fight against the war instead we're getting so weak that we are passing around and uh you know when did when did we decide to start doing all that 
Well, yes. um, I appreciate the question. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is a gradual process. And yet, uh, when it comes to matters of war and peace, uh, there's a constitutional question involved, and that is, where does the uh, commander-in-chief's uh, role begin and end? But what we used to do is to declare wars, for instance. So, exactly. Uh, uh, World War II was declared. World War I was declared. The person who broke that mold was Harry Truman. Uh, you know, he started the Korean War without ever going to Congress. He called it a police action. Well, it was a police right. action. It took about... 35 or 40,000 American lives. And uh, that's a big police action. Then uh, that was continued with Vietnam, you know, where um, uh, with, uh, you know, they used the, sort of the Tonkin Gulf Resolution, which was, you know, a hyped up, dishonest way to semi-authorize the war. But this is a war that's going to kill 60,000 Americans without a declaration of war. Now, the irony is, Thomas, is that uh, the Bushes, both Bush here and uh, Bush, uh, George W. Bush, would be accused of, like, you know, uh, Bush lied, people died, illegal war, this and that. But in every case, they took their wars to Congress, both in the Gulf War with uh, Bush uh, Sr. and in uh, both the war on terror and the war in Iraq, uh, both of them, Bush took to Congress and got congressional approval. And exactly. for the war in Iraq, he got approval from John Kerry, uh, Hillary Clinton, uh, Chuck Hagel. You know, he got approval from John Edwards. All the um, ambitious Democrats approved it. So, and then they make believe like they didn't, or, and the war was illegal. And then, we, then we're back to Obama, where we have wars, you know, that are launched like in Libya, not only are they pointless, but there's no congressional authorization at all. And then we proceed to do this, this prisoner swap, without any kind of congressional authorization, even though there's a bill, or there's a law that says you, you need to give Congress, the appropriate committees in Congress, 30 days notice. And they didn't do that. But that, that's, you know, right. uh, typical that's for what what doing all You know, that's what my question was, is Congress is getting so weak. We, Congress needs to fight and take back the power that they have been voted in office to have. Well, it's, you know, Instead of sitting back God, and allowing it to happen. I'll tell you what, if, if there wasn't a Republican House right now, uh, God knows where this country would be. They at uh, least resist. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and from their position, given that they don't have the control of the Senate and they don't have control of the White House, and they certainly don't have control of the media, there's just so much right. they can accomplish but I don't think you can fault them for – in fact, today uh, in the Senate, Lindsey Graham, who is soft on so many issues, uh, launched a, uh, a hearing into this the latest move, and John McCain was out there too. And no one can speak in the Senate, certainly, with more authority on the issue of being a prisoner of war than McCain. So we'll see what happens. Appreciate your call, though. Hey, thank you. Thank you, Donnie. And just so you know, I will see you this Saturday. Well, this Sunday at the at the ice cream social, so I'll get to meet you there. All right, buddy. All right. So just hang on, keep listening. All right, now I got before we get to this, I got um a very dear friend of mine. It's 
she's a sister to me, and she's going to kind of be a part of this as well, Jack, because I know you have to leave, but uh, at, you have to leave at 8 or 7. I'm in Eastern time right. zone, so I'm all miscombobulated. But, um, yeah, I'm in Eastern time zone, Thomas. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're originally from Eastern time zone, but I'm going to bring on this 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 woman, um, I've shared a little bit about you with you about her blog a while back. She uh-huh. is one of the co-founders of The Last Civil Right, but she has a very unique perspective on on this, but, you know, she she's going to touch briefly on it today, and then tomorrow, you know, I'll have her back, but she is Eric Holder's cousin. So if you can imagine being a conservative in the family, but what I love and cherish about her so much is the fact that she loves this nation. She bleeds red, white, and blue, and she and she uh, you can feel it in her writing, in the passion, in her posts. So I want you to welcome my sister, my big sister, Babette Holder. To the show. Hi, Babette. How are you? Hey, Thomas. How are you? I'm going good. Hi, Jack. How are you? Hey, Babette. Good to to talk to you. It's good to talk to you all. Um, I joined in a little late, but uh, Jack, of course, I've heard all about you and and have been reading some of your writings, and Thomas has nothing but great words to say about you in this white privilege, um, I, 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 I keep trying to figure out what that is. I keep my American privilege. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. In fact, uh, you know, I think that you, you, when you, the first time anyone travels overseas, any American travels overseas, uh, you know, and that's, a, that's an excellent point. I, I lived in France one year with my wife and my little baby daughter, and this was before the Internet. And before cell phones, and so uh, telephone service is terrible. It's hard to get. And I went to the when I went to make my first long distance call, I looked up the country codes for all the countries in the world, and for the United States, the number was one. <laughs> and it was odd. It was an odd defining moment. You know, it's a number one. You know, you don't think of that when you're here. You know, you're just another American. You're just shoving around, you know. But when you travel overseas, especially when you're in a place where there are no other Americans, you know, every American becomes your buddy. And, and, uh, and all, you know, ethnic differences and religious differences melt away. And you all call home beginning with the number one. And, and we've all uh, grown up uh, with that. And we take it for granted, but it's, it's an intrinsic part of who we are, you know. It, it, that's very true, and we forget that. You know, I was wondering about this white privilege conference, which, you know, I wonder, I don't know if you two have heard about this group called, it's P-E-G, PEG is the acronym, and it's a Pacific Educational Group. I don't know if you heard about that. It started no, by no. a... Yeah, let me tell you a little bit on it, because this is all starting to tie in. A man named Glenn Singleton, he founded this in 1992. 
And he goes around the nation, and guess what they teach? They teach um, their goal is to achieve racial equality in education, and they use race as as, uh, the basis for everything in the program. And they have these for, it's the same thing, it's the same type of summit for teachers and educators and um, even pastors and cops. And he just paid big, big dollars. Oh, I know they do. Outrageous. And these school boards or districts are paying him. Now, there's a problem because I did a little research, and this was a while back, and um, I got caught up with some other things, but I was going to do an op-ed on it. And I was researching this because it appears that when he leaves, you know, there's issues and all kinds of problems that the districts have had with this program, which, you know, you would expect because the concept of teaching something based on race, such as, you know, changing the English language, per se, allowing slang and so forth, and it just ties right into this white privilege that's out there, you know, floating around. And it's an insult. I don't know which way to go, Jack. I don't know if Thomas told you, but my family is, is biracial. So, you know, I, I said one day to someone, I said, well, where was all this white privilege when I was growing up? So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know what's interesting, Bebe? You're privileged to be here today with a roof over your head and some food in your stomach. Honestly, last week in the wake of the Santa Clara shootings last weekend, uh, there was uh, all over the Internet, white privilege this, white privilege that. This white kid went out and did all this terrible stuff. Well, then it turns out that his mother is Chinese. I mean, he's half Chinese. He's as much non-white as Obama is non-white. You know, they're each half non-white. And then all of a sudden you're thinking, what a what a stupid uh, knee jerk impulse it is to blame white privilege. <laughs> I mean, and the interesting thing though, really, when you get down to it, is uh, both uh, Elliot Roger and Barack Obama are white. They grew up in white households. They grew up in a white world. They grew up in white culture. They think like white people. I mean, to the degree that white people and black people think differently, and yet they are. Obama is exactly the kind of person who insists on dividing the rest of us based on his artificial criteria of what you look like. You know, it doesn't matter what you think like. Uh, I mean, and, you know, the notion of diversity in the universities for now is a joke. For all of their efforts to try to diversify what people look like, they're insisting that they think alike, you know? Or, so for instance, this year, two of the, the, the most brilliant black women in, Amer- in, in America or the world, and both of them my heroes, uh, Ayan Hirsi Ali, uh, the, Su- the uh, Sudanese uh, freedom fighter and activist for uh, women's, women's uh, you know, uh, liberation from the Islamic uh, threat, and brilliant, brave woman, gets rejected. You know, she's supposed to speak at Brandeis, and they turn her away. And then they do the same thing to Condoleezza Rice at Rutgers. These are our liberal friends who are, you know, don't waste a moment to try to condemn, you know, people they don't even know as being racist, this, that, the other thing. And yet conservatives would never do anything like that, you know? 
I, I agree. I agree with you. And yes, Condoleezza Rice that just blew me away from the same university that paid $36,000 to a reality um, TV uh, personality, um, Snooki, it's her Snooki, nickname yeah. on the show. Right, right. And they turn away <laughs> Condoleezza Rice. I, I sat there and I said, my goodness, well, where are your values? But the yeah. white privilege is it's, it's really evil because it is so divisive. And the term to me is just a new modern or spin term on affirmative action. Yeah, and, and, and the, the reality is, having grown up, as, as Thomas and I have talked about this, I grew up in Newark in a single-parent household in a public housing project. And when I got it started going to college, it was just when affirmative action was taking hold. And... You know, I was, I, I was treated as though I were one of Rockefeller's children, you know. I mean, my mother right. didn't even go to high school. Uh, and, and all of a sudden now I'm like, uh, and that's, I'd get letters. You know, I'd get letters saying, oh, uh, you know, we're, uh, you know, and they, they'd be snotty letters. They weren't even shy, you know, our, our preference goes to women and minorities, you know, blah, 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 blah. So when I left graduate school, I had a PhD, I have a PhD from American Studies from Purdue, as, and my wife has a PhD from Purdue. When we left uh, school together, she had all the job offers she wanted. And I didn't know a single white guy in my department who had a single interview, let alone a job offer. I had to give up, I gave up academia. Because I would, I, would be, I would always be scrapping for the leftovers, you know? And, yes, uh, I, I, and, I guess, uh, and, and also people don't realize, too, affirmative action, yes, it had a time. I believe there was a time for it. I will not doubt that, especially until laws were solidified or put in place. But after that, what they don't understand is affirmative action can work against you. Many years I spent in corporations, and I look around, and, you know, I'll say, oh, okay, well, they have the two token blacks, they have a token Asian. Okay, they met the quota. <laughs> you yeah. know, there's, there's a diversity. You know, there's no set numbers or percentage or ratio that says that you have to hire certain ethnic and racial groups. So I, I don't think as that many people realize these days that it can actually hurt more than help because in my generation and time, I can't tell you if affirmative action actually helped me. I can't prove that. I can prove without a doubt that it has hurt others getting into companies. Well, what I will say this is too, uh, that psychologically, is that uh, when you go work for a corporation or a law firm or a university, your peers, until they know differently, will presume you got the job because you're a minority. That that, that's is something to work on. Yeah, that is and, true, and, too, and there are and, those who will state that to you publicly. Yeah, not many, but uh, most people, but all of them will think it. And, and it'll take some time, and, and then when they realize that someone is legitimate, they'll be shocked, you know. So the, the, the problem is that the competent people who deserve to be there bear the same stigma as the incompetent people who don't deserve to be there. Now, there's lots of incompetent white people in universities, I should say, but... Uh, but no one presumes they're incompetent because they're white, you know. Uh, exactly. They, they, and that's they, why this stuff is all detrimental, Jack. When they keep bringing and stirring up 
this white privilege and, you know, don't, don't, you know, all these little rules or different little plans they have for how to talk, how to teach, how to work with. How, and I'm sitting here thinking, this is crazy because, yes, there are those who come from certain neighborhoods or cities and urban, even rural areas. But, you know, they're not, but even still, when you get down to the basic function, we all want to be treated the same way. Respectful, courteously, we all, we all should have the desire to learn the same way. Yeah, you know, I, I had a, that There's personal accountability and that everyone, regardless, can make it. I mean, I, I just, this yesterday, I had a discussion with someone who teaches in the state of Michigan. And she was stating how, but the poor children, you know, the children who are poor and, and these schools that have, like, 30 kids to a classroom or up to 50, they can't learn that way. And so, you know what, it may be a little more difficult, but what about personal responsibility and accountability? I don't yeah, care and, if there's 100 people in that classroom. If you want to strive and get ahead and no education is missing, you will make sure that you are learning. Well, Bobette and Thomas, I'm going to let you guess this one, then i got to run in a minute, but okay. how many kids do you think were, were in my fourth grade classroom with one teacher? Give me a big number. Uh, I'll say about 35. Thomas? The answer, 66, right? It's a oh, Catholic my school. goodness. And there were no disciplinary problems. <laughs> and, and everyone I learned. It. Yeah, I mean, that, that was a different time and place. But, uh, and it was, you know, a racially mixed school. And, uh, you know, everyone was expected to, you know, to – and no one was given preference because they were female or because they were black or we had Puerto Ricans. And, and the white population was all ethnic. It was either all Irish or Italian. You know, and it was just a different world where the expectation was, you know, we have one set of rules. And, you know, so the, um, uh, you know, and they were, the grading was done very publicly. It was kind of probably not a good idea, but we all knew who was the smartest kid in the class. And, and my one good black friend was always known as the third smartest boy in the class. So he went, through, you know, but that's third out of like 30. That's top 10%. So, Exactly, and then we he had that school, back, and you know not, what? That gave you something to compete for. Right. So he wasn't thought of as the black kid. He was thought of as the third smartest boy in the class. You know. So uh, anyhow, that that was a different time and place, and unfortunately, we haven't. Most of the steps we've taken have been in the wrong direction. It's really a shame. Hey, Thomas, by that I got to leave because I'm working on a project now that is uh, that takes full time. But uh, thanks for having me on, and I'll talk to you guys soon, okay? Okay. Thank you, Beth. It was good talking with you. You too, Beth. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, Thomas. Hi, Beth. This is Letitia. Hey, Letitia. How are you doing? Hey, good. I'm um, interjecting myself in the show. Welcome, everybody, to um, the Invisible Conservative with Thomas Swift. I bet you he's having a few technical difficulties with his phone. So we are going to move right along and begin your interview. 
And so I know that uh, Thomas I and I had had planned this this program together in a series of programs on the True Radio Network about this white privilege idea sparked off from the white privilege conference that hit the news and this was so interesting to me because i saw it coming now i had no idea that this white privilege conference has been going on for 15 years but i heard about uh the logical outworking of how this was going to go on and on in and and it was eventual that the public would catch on to what was going on behind closed doors it being put out there in the public. And so we had wanted some voices on this topic to tell us exactly how this is working out in in the black community. Now, we have a lot of people on television that tell us, oh, yes, of course there's black We even had today this idea that blacks today need to be have some, they need to have some kind of reparations, material reparations, kind of uh, post-slavery reparations. I believe it was, uh, if I can say his current name, uh, I'm going to have to look it up to say it correctly. He was on Democracy mm-hmm. Now. Oh, you saw it. Yes, I read the whole article that was featured in the Atlantic by Todd Lisi, and I was also following him and his group in their um, Twitter hashtag called reparations. Yes. So I wanted to start off with that. Um, so we'll, we'll get to that in just a moment. Why don't you tell us, first of all, how this whole issue comes across to you? And I know you said a few words earlier. Please kind of hash flesh that out and give us exactly what this is to you and what do you think about it? Well, this white privilege conference, you know, I agree with you, Letitia. I had I had actually stumbled upon it three years ago, and I didn't really pay much attention because technically the conference was under another name. I think it was three or four years ago. And now today, you know, with society and, and what's acceptable, they, you know, have changed the title, but... I just find it ludicrous. I really do. I, I cannot understand this concept that whites are oppressors still to this day when everyone has right. a fair and equal shot to, to achieve and strive for the best. Yes, there are those who are privileged, but regardless of the race, people forget there are also wealthy blacks who can go as far back, too, as the Daughters of the American Revolution. As a matter of fact, they had their own group, and it's, um, I can't think of their name now. But, I mean, everyone has the same fair, equal shot versus those who, you know, besides their economical status. So it, it just blows me away. It blows me away, the things that they teach, the things they say. I think if people stop and thought, they will be offended. Right. First of all, Babette, I've got to jump in here and just let everybody know I'm a goofball because I'm talking away and I have muted myself. So <laughs> that was the technical difficulty. So I apologize. But, um, you know, Babette, what's, what's, really, what's really kind of disheartening to me about this whole white privilege thing 
it dishonors the those individuals who gave their lives the the thousands of white men and women who gave their lives so that black people could be free. And I'm not talking Civil War. I'm talking the Underground Railroad. I'm talking those who were murdered just for their association with black people. So when you have stuff like this so-called white privilege, how does that make you, how does that make you feel, especially when you have, a very integrated family yourself. Well, it, 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 it's appalling to me, Thomas. I, I just, it's a spelling such as, you know, it, it, it offends, like you said, I, coming, those of us who come from a biracial family that specifically has someone who is Caucasian in it. Because, and when I think about it, my father was a business owner. And became a very right. big business owner, contractor, hiring subcontractors of various races and ethnicities. If you could legally work in the U.S., and whether even if you were unskilled and willing to learn, he would take you on that crew as long as you had a work ethic about you. So to say that, you know, whites are oppressors and so forth, and you know, even those who couldn't read. I remember we had some employees, and I say we because my father always put me to work. We grew up learning to work for what we wanted. We had a few that could not read. And, you know, we worked around it with them and and so forth. So to say a white are oppressors, I I can't relate to it. I can't with the way I've grown up. Right. I have a question for you, um, this, and this is a question um, from one of the listeners. Um, does having a mixed-race family mean half of them are privileged? Does the other half cancel out the white privilege half even in the same individual? <laughs> no, actually, it doesn't. Um, you know, we're, my exactly. family is one that's highly politically incorrect to begin with. So even to this right. day, we don't, you know, my parents didn't know what being PC was. We would actually joke about it because my dad was out, out race, race majority in the household to begin with and outgendered mm-hmm. with the female. So, I guess you could say we have the privileges. Um, <laughs> but wow. no, it doesn't. And like I said, but that's another thing. When I was growing up, and, and it wasn't just in directly in my household, the Homer family has a makeup that's very diverse. So, and, and also when my great-grandparents settled in Chicago in the Inglewood neighborhood, that I remember even as a little girl, the majority of that neighborhood and I'm talking the south side of Chicago, it was white. There was a lot of Polish and Italian as far as ethnicity, but it was white. So I, I, everyone was nice. I remember as a little girl coming through, people want to give me sticks of gum and candy and cough and a mire, and these were all white people. And, 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 and that what Letitia had brought up in that article which uh, Tanisi, I, I hope I'm saying his name right. I may not be. It is a difficult, um, a little bit of a difficult pronunciation. He writes about Chicago and areas and all the 
zoning, blackout, and so forth, as they call it, redlining, and so forth, and how blacks were scams. And I do believe those happen. Those happen a lot. And, and during those times, but it's ironic that around the same time period as some of it he was talking about, there was also those who didn't believe in being unfair and moral and unethical. Right. So how come we don't bring those individuals? See, the way I think we can debunk the myth of white privilege is we have to bring those individuals to the forefront who truly embraced diversity based on their genuine love and care for people, not not those who do it in the name of politics and all that garbage, you know, because until we do that, like you yourself, you, you, yourself, you as a person, your family has embraced diversity, you know, now you're the black sheep in this family because of your political ideology, but, you know, someone has to be on the right side of the fence, but anyway, I digress. I'll go to the side, but I love when people genuinely embrace diversity because, one, they know it's the right thing to do, and, two, because they care about people. What say you? Well, Thomas, you know the mainstream media, whatever the wins of society and, and of course, them being more leaning towards the left, they're not going to bring those forward or, you know, they'll bury those articles or interviews and opt-ed, those will be in the back. Um, definitely right. those headline stories because I don't think a lot of people realize this, but a lot of folks are saying, oh, because of Barack Obama, oh, because of President Obama, we have all this racial division and, and it's because of the president. Oh, no, they've been building up to this for a couple of decades, if you know. It, it, right. it just was never released because there are those, as we all know, who make a living. What would they do if we did not always have some kind of, especially racial um, division and politics? That's big money. Right. That's big money. It's, it's harder sometimes based on to prove gender. What would the ACLU do? Without it all, what 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 would the Sharptons and the Jacksons of this world do? What, where would they go for their leadership? Right. You know, they were there for the civil rights. You know, there's still you know rights and issues these days, but nothing brings up bigger money where you can get it all infiltrated into the schools, into the corporations, into your, your legislation than race. Right, That's exactly. That's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. No, I I agree with that because that is so that is so wholeheartedly true. And the and the truth of the matter is this: it's like um, let's use the um, let's use the conservative adage. You know, we talk about uh, individual freedoms, responsibilities, and stuff like that. That's the end result. Part of the problem, I think, is that, you know, the question or what needs to be done in our messaging, we have to, as conservatives, we have to present 
solutions that's going to that's going to encompass everybody. And if we do that, we can I'm telling you, we can destroy the walls of racism if we if we do that. You know, the article I just posted a few days ago, Democrats' worst nightmares being realized young black men are abandoning the Democratic Party for the GOP. Did you see that article? No, I'm sorry, Thomas. I did miss that I had a day of graduation parties and so oh, yeah, forth, but that's I, right. I think I had heard about it. I will have to catch up on that. There's something you said about abolishing racism and getting rid of it. I, this is my thought. Someone's always going to be racist. It, it, it can go for anyone, any race, and everyone has, the, you know, or a little prejudice or their bias or whatever. One of the things, too, I find a lot of people do now, and this goes um, more on the conservative side, and it's a little bit of a bone of contention for me. It's not anything really major. It also makes people weary of having others celebrate their cultural or ethnic um, differences. There is diversity. We are a melting pot country. And I see, you know, nothing wrong, you know, with if, if, you know, we make jokes about it, you know, people relate certain foods to a race or something like that or celebrations. I don't think, and some people are taking this hot topic and hot that issue right now, racism, to to the extreme, in my opinion, when they want to support really honest, to be honest with you, I don't notice people's colors, maybe that's because I, you know, I tell people when you grow up in such a diverse family, it's the last thing I'll notice about you. I may notice your laugh. I may notice a physical feature or, or something about your personality or anything like that. But I, I think a lot of other people, you know, they say they want to unhyphenate it, you know, we have to get rid of that in the government to have an unhyphenated America. Because I always remind them, too, so many things ask for your race. Right. So many. Even the the Census Bureau is is one of the biggest perpetrators of that. I remind folks that it wasn't until, what, 2010 that they allowed someone like me to be able to choose? Because if you didn't, what I found out, ironically, they went back and put down what they wanted for you. Right. I find schools do that. Right. Let me let me prove just how much of a farce the census is. I have never received a census, um, a census, whatever you call it, sheet survey. Mm-hmm. In since I've been an adult, not one time. I've not been counted as part of the census. So how do, how do you explain that? Yeah, I, I don't mean, know how but, either. And I always wonder about the accuracy of their numbers. Sometimes I think they go on a presumption based on if they had hit someone in your household and they said, yes, there's four people here, three are black, one is Caucasian, or so forth or so right. forth. And I agree, but... The, those census numbers are used so widely, but my point was I remember they would come around 
and I remember it was so funny because my mom, you know, conservative to the core and, and punched at me all the time. <laughs> and she would say to him, well, do we have to take a race? This is a biracial household. How about we put Americans? And I remember one year right. this was first because I was, you know, sitting in the next room, small house, doorways right near me. And and they said, this gentleman said, well, we'll put you down as black. And then she said, well, then you're discrediting my husband. You see how this always goes around and, and it right. comes back. Same work registering us for school, which I find funny when I register my kids for school. There's so much tied up in it, which is what I'm saying. There's so much money. Schools, from what I understood, my mom had this saying, there was a, you guys are the $25 a day kids. We didn't, you know, she said, basically, there's a subsidy. You're a minority. Even though we're not getting federal assistance, every time there are minority children enroll in that school, you're counted and your money in that school district. And, and that's why I was saying, it's, it's, you know, there's so much. With, I, you follow the dollars is my thing. Right. To all of this. And then you right. get people making money off of it. There's a white privilege company, I mean, conference. Is that really needed? And then this company, PEG, that I was just speaking about, this man I found out has made millions of dollars off of this program he wrote. Right. So I, right. it's just, it's one of those things that I believe, because it has become a hotbed of this administration, but it is the time as we see other hotbed issues that come up. It's just one of those things I think conservatives is really going to have to look forward to in fighting, you know, around 2015, 2016 time period. And not so much fighting, right. but looking at these programs, getting this stuff. Yeah, you know, I, I, I just don't get why people can't look at that and say those who are aren't coming forth and saying, this is really offensive. And also, I would say to myself, if I was one of those people who was sitting there thinking, oh, this sounds like a wonderful idea, are you really telling me that you need to turn around and say white people oppress you? Considering some people in areas, there are no white people to oppress them from learning or their teachers right. to talk to them. And how about those right. teachers in those schools? What are you saying about those teachers that take these jobs that – According, they, they don't get a high pay. It's the administrative and, and all those boards that get the big box. Right. So you really exactly. think they want to be in those urban city schools where they don't have all the supplies and textbooks and so forth and all the bureaucracy and paperwork that they're there to oppress you and your learning? Right. Exactly. Exactly. You hit the you hit the nail on the head in our last few minutes. I want I want you to address this this Sergeant Bo Berdahl situation and your thoughts on that. You know, Thomas. I, first of all, let me just say that the release of the Gitmo prisoners in negotiations for Bowie's release. I, I don't even. And from what I understand, him having the authority to do that without Congress. I just don't even understand how that can be legal or right. But as far as the details surrounding it and everything coming forth, you know, and from him saying to me, this sergeant sounds like a traitor to the country. If if that email is true and correct and his disenchantment 
with the military and that, um, what did you say, uh, greedy Americans? And, yeah, greedy and Americans. Poor, That's exactly what it's country and so forth. Well, you know, we're sorry that you were disillusioned. War is hell, as they say. Right. And there are unfortunate casualties on both sides. So I really wonder about this being kidnapped from a latrine because from what I'm hearing, he walked off his post and went to look for the Taliban. He did. That's exactly what he did. Go ahead. Yeah, it just seems so cleanly wrapped up to me all of a sudden. And so it just makes you wonder, too. I think also politics plays a lot, unfortunately, in these type of matters. Um. You know, I'm just wondering with the the big move to clean up, wrap up, get everything finished before we go into the next presidential election. And, and then um, I never heard of the U.S. negotiating. I, I'm just, I, I can't even find the words, Thomas, as you can tell. I'm, I'm a little discombobulated by the actions and everything, right. the way it was handled and done. But yet the irony of it, uh, of that whole negotiating for someone who's a traitor, is yet they still let an American Marine set in a Mexican prison unjustly because he made a mistake and accidentally drove into Mexico. But yet they're not... Thomas, right, right. You know that's that's gonna make that's gonna play too into another political power play. Because I'm still sitting here. Remember how many years the Mexican president, just a couple of years ago, how many visits he kept making back and forth to the White House. I talk about yep. it often on my Facebook page and social media. How how many times can we? It was the previous president to the current president coming back and forth to the White House. So for me, I, you know, I, I, I would love to see that Marine released, but I think there's going to be another political power play in that move, too. We have to watch it. Right. right. Hey, um, Donnie, Donnie Swartz, who's running for 6th Congressional District seat in, in Missouri, wants, I believe he has a question or a comment for you, Babette. So hold on. Donnie, you there? you have a question for Babette? Or just a comment? Yeah, and what she said is accurate. Uh, how in the world did a president get by with negotiation with the enemy? We've got men right. that's over there for a reason. And, I, you know, I don't know. I'm going to do some research to see what it's going to take to get him impeached. Because at this time, I think that's what needs to happen because I really believe he's a traitor. You don't you don't negotiate with the enemy. You don't do or whatever. Right. If if they were that worried about the POWs that is over there, then the congressmen should all got together and they should declared war on them again and went and get our men, not send right. their men back over there. Go get them. Go get what belongs to us with force. Right. You know, right. and right. Uh, I, and I'm having a tea party. 19th, and uh, Thomas, I'm going to send you my email address, and if you can pass it over to her and send me some information on what you guys think about the conservator and what needs to be fixed, I'm willing to uh, do the handout to my Tea Party committee, 
in DeKalb County and see if we can't get it fixed because, yeah, some of the conservatives are all messed up on what a conservator actually stands for. Right. I agree with you. I agree you know, with you, lot Donnie. Of, there is a lot of them out there that don't even understand. They're being, they're being conservative or they're being whatever, you know, just because it's a name. Right. For power, you know, and they shouldn't be using their power to get a name. Right. You know, just like right. me, I'm running for a congressman's seat. I'm not running for a congressman's seat for a paycheck. I can get right. a paycheck working out here as a, as, my, as a contractor that I've done on my life. You know, my dad's a veteran. He has been in foreign war. He's been the Vietnam War, which I didn't agree with after I read the history of it. You know, and just like the uh, Veterans Administration that's going on. You know, right. you see it all over the news now. That's not old news. This is something that's been going on for a decade. Right. Congressmen's got to take the power that they was elected in the office and use that power that they've got. Well, Donnie, you know what they say. Anyone can be a Republican. Not everyone can be a conservative. That's the reason I go by the title of conservative. I'm conservative in all means. You know, I vote under the R, but anyone can be a Republican. Not everyone's going to be conservative. Right, and uh, what I read in the dictionary, when I first got into politics, definition I read about conservative means, but we've got conservatives out there that's against us. And why is right. that? Well, it right. means it's got to get fixed. Well, those you know, really course, are conservatives. Yeah, I call those, those are just like we have rhinos. We have some mm-hmm. people that call themselves conservatives, but they're conservatives only a name. I mean, it, 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 it goes across the board, and I agree with you because you know, with this VA, with this Veterans Administration, you know, those, you know, I personally never did a military. I love my military friends, family, and everyone, and support the U.S. military wholeheartedly. I just, you know, was unaware of all the affairs. I know that things were going on. For instance, a lot of people are talking, and I should have seen this coming because people like Brian Kofetch, if you're not right. know who he is, you know, Google him. Yeah, but you guys probably heard getting... his name. Yes, he's had issues going through. Now, those issues I knew of and heard about, I wasn't even aware that Bush had left the Obama administration. A whole, they say it's a memo, but it sounds like, you know, a whole little, um, let me borrow the term, binder on the Veterans Affair and issues that have been going on. For a while, a while back, you know, back behind during Clinton's administration, from what I understand. Exactly. You're right. Wow. And it is. And that's why I am 100% confirmed, and if I get the congressman's seat, I'm going to vote it in office, that a congressman gets the same kind of term as anybody else. Why don't they yeah. have a term out? Even though I don't want to lose my job, I want to keep get elected in the same office that I'm running. But in reality is, I did my job in that office. I fixed it. Now, it's time for me to move up to another level. Let somebody else come in and finish doing what what I've started. Why why stay in that office? 
You know, right. yeah, you're you talking like about term limits. Yes, term limits. And you're right, because you go in and you get what you can do in the fair and best interest and for the good of the people for your district in your mm-hmm. state, why not have someone else come back in and say, okay, this is where Donnie left off. We still have this to deal with. But, hey, he gave me a good start here. Because I've noticed in every election you go through, I don't care if it's a conservative, Republican, Democrat, or whatever, after they're in office for so long, if they ain't got a term limit, they give up. Right. They don't care no more. They've already <laughs> been there two terms, you know, and they've already been there this long and that long. They don't care no more. Well, if you give them a term hey, limit, I'm jump, is when they'll start. I'm going to jump in huh? here for a minute. Donnie, I'm going to jump in here. Mavette's um, actually going to be back with us tomorrow for part two of the White Privilege series because the show is ending. Uh-huh. So you're you're free to call in tomorrow because this show is across the board. We talk about everything because it all, it's all connected. It all ties in together. And tomorrow, Mavette, um, basically I'm going to give her the floor, and she's going to go into depth with, uh, you know, on her research with this white privilege issue. Because one thing I can tell you about Babette, she is a woman because of her love for this nation, her love for people, and as she said, love for our military, her military friends and stuff like that. She goes in depth on her research. That's what we need. She's very thorough. And if some if she gets something wrong, she posts something wrong, she moves it with a quickness and she tells people, Hey, I posted something inaccurate, disregard that. That is the kind of integrity that we need in our congressmen and women in Washington D C. Exactly. So, you know, I think I think the women's rights need to be brought back as well, you know. We need to quit kicking women out of out of office. You know, right. let's get the Republican women as a president or, or congressmen or senators. And, you know, they can't, you know, they can't do no worse than what the men have been doing. Something's got to happen. Point. Good point. I agree. Well, so. thank you, Thomas. And, Donnie, I hope you can call in tomorrow and join us. Um, I also have to run myself because I have tied myself back-to-back on meetings tonight, oh. but I always enjoy, and thank you, Letitia, if she's still out there listening, she's and good. I will yeah. catch you all tomorrow. All right, all right Babette. You guys have a good night. You Bye-bye. too, Donnie. Uh-huh. Truly, you. You all have good night. Thank you, Babette. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to this first broadcast of debunking the myth of white privilege. This entire week is going to be off the chain. We'll have the bat back tomorrow. Thursday night is going to be a treat you don't want to miss. So, Leticia, should we let the cat out of the bag or just wait until tomorrow? What do you think? Oh, we should tell. We, I do tell. Do tell. Thursday. We have Reverend C.L. Bryant, who's going to be back um, be back with us, and I'm just excited. He's a dear friend of mine and Letitia's and a lot of people. So, folks, tune in this entire week and 
True Life Fridays Radio. Letitia, who we have for Friday? We are going to have a really special set of guests. Uh, If all goes right, we definitely have my good friend and and founder of Nurses for Life here in St. Louis, Stephanie Rubach, a fabulous, fabulous woman. And if all goes right and scheduling goes correctly, we may even have Walter Williams on our program, as well as Kevin Jackson from the Black Sphere. Wow. You just pulling it off. That rock. Been trying to get Kevin forever. But <laughs> it is what it is. So that there you have it, folks. We are going to be rocking and rolling here on True Radio Presents, The Visible Conservatives, Theology Matters, and True Life Friday. So I'll be back here tomorrow with Babette, Donnie, possibly Letitia if she can make it, and everybody else. So until then, have a good night. Good night. Good night.